they say that seeing is believing. If that's the case, then we're a bit of disadvantage when it comes to seeing Jesus. We use our ears to listen to the stories of his life, but then we have to use our imaginations to picture the scenes. Of course, those scenes in our mind change once you've been to Israel. Just ask anyone who has gone to Israel. Yet, learning visibly, visible learning, is a way for us to gain different perspectives especially if you use the imagination of artists. So today I want to use two different artists to help us look at this story of the other Samaritan, not the good Samaritan, but the Samaritan woman at the well. We're going to use two pieces of art, one a painting, one a sculpture. Both of them are neither, neither of them are really completely realistic. But yet, the artists use their interpretive gifts to help us look at this story and gain other insight into it. One of the, paint, the first piece of art that we're going to use is a painting. It's called Jesus and the Woman at the Well. It is painted by the Polish modern artist Jacek Malczewski. He painted many other paintings uh, on this uh, story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman, but this is the one that really caught my attention. As you can see, the painting is a bit anachronistic. Um, both of these are, are uh, early century Polish peasants looking, not your typical Jewish-looking or Samaritan-looking people. In fact, Jesus, his face is Malczewski's self-portrait. Malczewski had a habit of painting himself into his pictures. He's wearing an artist's smock and holding in his hand a straw hat and an umbrella. You wouldn't find that article of clothing and those accessories in first century Judea. The woman is a typical Polish peasant girl who has gone out to draw water in the heat of the summer day, the season and time of day corresponding to John's gospel. But what's unique about this painting is Jesus. Jesus is facing away from the Samaritan woman. You see, when we think about this or picture it in our minds, we kind of typically think of uh, Sunday school pictures that we've seen in the past. And in the Sunday school pictures, they almost always have Jesus looking at the Samaritan woman. Now, that detail isn't given to us in the scripture, but here Jesus is facing away from her. And it's the woman who seems to be expressing interest in who Jesus is and what, she is, and what he is doing there in asking her for a drink of water. Of course, Jesus is not using good communication technique, right? Ask any uh, Stephen minister there. You're supposed to make direct eye contact when you're communicating with other people. But Malczewski does this as a way to point out the cultural difference between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. This is also highlighted in our gospel lesson when the woman says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask 
for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman. John adds the helpful footnote that Jews do not hold things in common with Samaritans. That's a bit of an understatement. Jews and Samaritans did not like each other. Ostensibly, they worshipped the same God, but religiously, politically, and culturally, they were far apart from one another. That historic hatred between these two groups is what made Jesus' parable of the good Samaritan so offensive to the Jewish people. But here, Jesus is facing away from her. Who are these Samaritans and where did they come from? Well, after the death of King Solomon, the kingdoms were split in two. The Samaritans are the remnants of the northern kingdom of Israel. The ten tribes of the north decided they wanted to be their own country. And so they chose Jeroboam ben Nebat as their king, slighting Solomon's son, Rehoboam. Now you had the kingdom split in two. You had a bunch of battling relatives. The northern kingdom kept the name Israel. The southern kingdom became simply known as Judah. A person from Judah was a Jew. A couple of generations later, the kingdom of Assyria in the north, that Assyrian empire, came down and conquered the northern kingdom of Israel, sacking its principal cities, carrying off its leaders and other people into captivity. They set up a puppet government and extracted heavy tribute from the people. We'd call them taxes. Then, to make sure that this kingdom of Israel didn't rebel and organize itself, the Assyrians took people from five other countries that they had conquered and resettled them into Israel. The intermarriage then between the remaining Israelites and these Gentiles from other countries produced a mixed blood people that became known as the Samaritans. Now, the southern kingdom um, was able to escape and fend off the Assyrians thanks to the miraculous work of God under King Hezekiah. Remember in Isaiah 37, it says that God sent the angel of death that killed 185,000 Assyrians overnight, after which King Sennacherib then packed up and went home. The southern kingdom survived, but... They did not come to the defense of the northern kingdom, and that fact was not forgotten. Back to the painting. Jesus and the Samaritan woman are communicating, just not face to face. It was an awkward encounter outside the norm, which is why the disciples, when they came back from town, were baffled. But of the two here, who looks the most hesitant? Jesus, right? He's the one who looks hesitant. Look at the face of the Samaritan woman. 
she, her face has an expression of warm interest. Like I said earlier, Jesus did speak to her first, asking her to give him a drink. But even as John's own gospel testifies, it's the Samaritan woman who shows interest in Jesus and carries on this conversation, peppering Jesus with more questions. She's the one who seems to take the initiative in this situation. She's the one who uh, is talking with Jesus. And Jesus answers her, often in a cryptic way. Um, I'm sure she was expecting Jesus to disrespect her, as Jews often do Gentiles. Uh, I can attest to that from my flights to Israel. We can talk about that later if you want. But here Jesus doesn't disrespect her. He engages her in a conversation, drawing her deeper and deeper in. A conversation probably like she has never had in years due to her hard peasant life. Jesus draws her in so that he can teach her about living water. And when he presents to her the promise of living water, you can see she's all in. Sir, give me this living water that I may never be thirsty. And I would not have to come here day after day to draw water. How hard her peasant life must have been that she would be drawn in to this situation. You see, the exceptional thing about this painting is that it debunks a certain dubious interpretation about the Samaritan woman that she is a woman of low virtue. Yes, Jesus does give us this detail of her life that she is not ha- that she's had five husbands and the one she has now is not her husband. He knows this about her, even though he has just met her. And it's been fashionable among preachers and others that based on this fact, and that she's coming to the well at noon, which is not your typical time to draw water, but it's not unheard of either, because you remember Moses met his wife Zipporah at the well of Midian during the heat of the day as well. So it's not unheard of. But they combine these two facts to say that this Samaritan woman was a social outcast, that she was being shunned by the village. To put it bluntly, that she was a woman of ill repute. But that's an assumption because those facts are not in the story. In fact, when you get to the end of the story that we read, she was able to go into the village and talk with many people. She shared with her encounter with Jesus with many people. And this is important. The people of the village listened to her. They went out to see Jesus themselves. That kind of mitigates against the idea that this woman was a social outcast. What Malczewski is doing here in this painting is revealing John, St. John's use of light. Look at the painting. It is bathed 
in golden sunlight. This woman showed interest in Jesus and was able to carry on a theological discussion with him. John, in his gospel, uses the theme of light and darkness prominently. It is important for John. Jesus, he says, is the true light of the world, pushing back the darkness. John chapter 1, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not understood it. Last week's gospel lesson with Nicodemus, a teacher of Israel, who's supposed to be teaching the true light. When does he meet with Jesus? In the dark of night. But this Samaritan woman, who's supposed to be in the dark, meets with Jesus in the bright light of midday. Which leads us to the second piece of artwork. It is a sculpture. It's called The Water of Life. It was made by Stephen Broadbent, an English sculptor, in 1996. It is cast in bronze and is in the courtyard of the cloister, ancient monastic cloister of Chester Cathedral, Chester, England. The fountain is placed at this spot that served for centuries as the well for that cloister. Around the base of the uh, fountain is the words from John chapter 4, 14. Jesus said that the water I give you will spring up, well up, to eternal life. The Samaritan woman gives him a drink of water. He gives her living water. What's unique about this is that Jesus understood the hardness of her life. And he offers her living water. And in that offer, she recognizes that there is hope, that there is healing, that there is mercy. And so too for us. We all struggle with troubles in our life, dealing with emotional or relational or spiritual or physical troubles in our life. And Jesus comes to us offering living water, living water that gives us hope and healing and mercy. Jesus is that living water that refreshes us with grace and acceptance, forgiveness and strength for the day. Jesus never runs out of the water of grace for our lives. It never ends. He is a wellspring, the eternal source 
of life for us. Note the position of the bowl in that fountain sculpture. Who is holding the bowl? On this side, you can see that Jesus' hand is on hers. On the other side, her hand is on Jesus. So who's holding the bowl? It's hard to tell. That is so true to life because they are so tied together. We as Jesus' disciples promise to serve him and he promises to give us strength for the day, living water. Or is it the other way around? He gives us his living water and we promise to serve him in gratitude. It's two sides of the same coin. There is this constant give and take, the flow between master and disciple, disciple and master, between us and the one whom we claim to serve. It is so symbolic of the Christian life, that exchange that happens, the give and take that happens between us and Jesus through the living water. Notice also that it is in a circle. It's symbolic of this dynamic exchange, giving and taking, going on forever. You see, in the Celtic tradition, the circle, which is a prominent part of every Celtic cross, is a symbol for eternity. When we enter into a relationship with Jesus, we do so for eternity. The constant flow of grace and mercy, living water in our life as we serve others. You see, that's the great thing about visual art, is that it gives us different perspectives to think about, to look at. And in this exchange between the Samaritan woman and Jesus, we can see ourselves in that picture as well, in that dynamic exchange in our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Jesus giving us his living water, refreshing us, reviving us, restoring us, so that we in turn can share that living water with others.